Good morning. What, what a joy to be with you today. Um, you have been so wonderful to me. You've been so good to me. Uh, Mark and Kathy were in the first gathering to start World Renewal. That was the fall of 1985. And as we started World Renewal, just one country, uh, Hubert and Tanya, I see you here. They helped us as well. But you've been with me since you began in 91. You partnered, you've encouraged, you've loved me, you've let me share here, uh, which I love being able to share Jesus here. And you've just loved me. And my wife and my family, thank you. And so I really feel a great desire when I have an opportunity like today to share the love that I feel for you. And so today I want to share what I feel like the Lord put on my heart to share with you. And of course, you're the one that will decide whether it's of the Lord or not. Am I having, is it not working? But uh, anyhow, anyhow, th this today is the most loving thing I know to share with you, okay? And it really starts with something I know about you. You see, I think the thing I know about you is that the majority of you would give your lives if you knew for sure that you were going to be able to take your family, your children, your grandchildren. The Bible uses a phrase, those yet to be born. <laughs> yeah, I have some of those coming. <laughs> and I know you, you, most of you would give your life right now, immediately, to ensure, if, if it would ensure that your children and your grandchildren, those yet to be born, would go to heaven, right? They're on your top five, ten, whatever it is, or more. My dad used to say, it's much tougher to be a living sacrifice for God than to be a dead one, just laying on the altar. Because the problem with living sacrifices is that we, we tend to crawl off the altar and go our separate way, often away from where he wants us to be. It's a challenge to be a living sacrifice for God, isn't it? It's tough sometimes. And <clears throat> so I wanted to share with you what I know 
about taking your kids, your grandkids to heaven. And this is really from not the perspective of what you should do. I'm talking about what he has told me I need to do. <laughs> and he's taught me from the Old Testament and this Bible story. Uh, Joshua, what a challenge he had in life. He had to take Moses' place. <laughs> Who would want to do that? <laughs> I love the story where, you know, he's in the first moments of being the leader instead of Moses. Moses has died and he's now the leader. And he's apparently laying flat on the ground, you know, and he's feeling uh, like, oh my, I'm already in trouble. You know, how are we going to conquer? How are we going to do this? And, and God speaks to him and says, what are you doing down there on your face? Get up. I'm going to make you today as big in the eyes of Israel as Moses. He constantly said to Joshua, be strong and of good courage, because that was his battle. Any of you have that battle? Fearful, not sure of yourself? Yeah, that's why the pastor prayer partners came and prayed for me today, because I was feeling that way. It says that Joshua reached the end of his life. God said that you're going to pass away. You need to transition to the next guy. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel, so they came. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I look Abraham from the far, I took Abraham from the far beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. And then he gives kind of a, a, a summary of the history of how God provided for the children of Israel. You'll recall some things, some miracles that he did for Israel. You know, they, 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 they're out there traveling and they couldn't find a Casey's convenience store. They couldn't find a Kroger's. And they got, they got a bad attitude and got to grumbling. And, and God said, well, I got this special stuff called manna. And every night you'll have manna. Of course, some people got tired of manna, but, you know. And, and, and then they ran out of water. And then God brought water right out of a rock. And, 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 of course, they had the world's first GPS. <laughs> they, they didn't really have maps. I mean, you know, and, and, and so God provided this cloud of fire, uh, the first GPS. And he said, just follow that, you know. And, and so they had these miracles, but the miracle that really kind of was the miracle of miracles that started out was when they left Egypt and God said, I want you to camp at a certain place right there next to the Red Sea. And then they were trapped when Pharaoh changed his mind and come chasing them. You know, sometimes God allows us, sometimes he directs us to park in a spot where we feel trapped. 
They weren't trapped. They had G-O-D. You know, and Cecil B. DeMille needed to make that great movie, you remember, where Moses takes his rod and hits that water and it parts, you know, with all the music and all that. He, w- he wouldn't have had that if they hadn't parked at God's direction by the Red Sea. You ever feel like you've been parked by God by the Red Sea? And you need a miracle? They had stories, didn't they? <laughs> and, and, you know, he sums it up with this. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. That's kind of the summary at the end of the book of Joshua. But you find almost exactly the same words just a few pages over, no longer in Joshua, but in the book of Judges. Same event, similar words. The people served the Lord, Judges 2, throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But then Judges adds a verse that is alarming. That entire generation passed away. A new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. They hadn't heard the stories of the Red Sea or, or, or the, the manna from heaven or the GPS cloud. Now, I, I want us to have a visual of this. So we're going to use three chairs to represent those three generations. And um, I'm thankful for help, or I would never be able to do this. So, um, I'm thankful. This is third chair, second chair, and first chair. And they represent these three generations that have just been described in Scripture. Now, down there at the far end, first chair, that's, that's Joshua, Moses' generation. That, that's those great leaders. And I, I just want us to make sure we understand how awesome these first chair people were, these pioneers, you know. And I'm so thankful, like, we have so much of Scripture that that tells us how they felt about things and how they failed and all that. But yet, man, did they have the stories. Can you imagine, you know, a a first chair man like Daniel with his grandchildren who crawled up on his lap and looked into his brown Jewish eyes and says, Papal Daniel, would you tell us about when the old mean king threw you into the lion's den? That's what first chair is like. They got stories, stories of God's deliverance. And you have some of those around here too. For instance, the elders and pastors who were that group when Brandywine first started. And and the schools let them know that they're gonna remodel that big auditorium. And I think that was in April. And by, by June, they had to 
find a new place for Brandywine to meet. I think at that time there was about 40 adults, about 40 kids, something like that, I don't know. And uh, they prayed. You know, from my point of view, this is what makes Brandywine so effective. They all were the kind that they'd lay on their face. And, I, and if you want to do business with them, like I'd have to come talk about missions, you knew. You had to wait till they prayed. And they were going to get on their faces and cry out to God and, 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 and pray until they really felt the Lord directing them. That, that's the way they were. And, and here they didn't have a place to meet. And they got in the van, drove around town, trying to find a place for Brandywine to meet. And they couldn't really get peace on anything. Nothing seemed quite right. They just couldn't get peace. You know, and then they found that place over there by Marsh. Felt like God was one. They call it the Marsh Miracle. Because Marsh, I mean, I mean, I mean they wanted like seven or $8,000 a month. Well, couldn't afford anything like that. But you know what they could afford? When God told them that's where they were supposed to be and Marsh hands the key and says, we don't want rent, we just want you to pay utilities. And boom, the Marsh Miracle stories to be told. God being there because people prayed and said, we want to do what you want to do. That's first chair. They got stories. But what's alarming is when Judges 2 says that verse 10, it says a third generation arose that neither knew the Lord nor did they know the stories. Oh my. How can that happen? That in just one generation, you could have grandchildren that don't know the Lord and they've not heard the Red Sea parting, the GPS cloud from heaven, the manna from heaven, the water out of the rock. Why hadn't they heard that? Well, obviously there's something that happens here in the second chair or doesn't happen in the second chair. You know, that first chair down there, I would label it committed. We want to be a part of the company of committed, right? That's what I want to be. I would call this one, third chair, confused. And what was confusing was the compromising second chair their parents. You see, as that generation moved into the promised land, they relaxed. In fact, they looked around and said, boy, it'd be nice to... And they took on the cultures, often sinful things, not always, but often sinful things of the culture around them. And, and, and here's 
what it says at the end of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that describe our culture today? Everybody doing what seems right in their own eyes? I love to hear Tony Evans preach. I love even more hearing Priscilla preach too. Here's what Dr. Evans says. We have been more cultural Christians than biblical Christians. <laughs> he says, we have been <clears throat> more cultural than biblical. He says, we're like a group of parakeets. <laughs> he says, we've become so ingrained in the culture that we wind up being parakeets to what the society is saying rather than taking a solid, loving, but clear stance on what God is saying. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote that would be in our day. People will love only themselves and money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that unless you want to win them to Christ. That's the exception, and I want to win them to Christ. That does describe our culture, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So, what's the solution here? What's the solution? One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is, gives the solution. It's in the book of Hebrews. Look at this. We must have one last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Isn't that awesome? That's Holy Ghost revival where we get back to the essentials and get rid of our historical and religious junk. But we need to ask ourselves, what are the essentials? <laughs> well, let me tell you, from our story today, we look at second chair, what was it they really lacked that made them second chair instead of first chair? What did first chair have that second chair didn't have? What was it? They didn't have any stories. Because, and their own confession was, we have seen what God has done, and, and, and we've seen his miracles, they said.
We've seen that. But you see, they didn't have any stories of the Red Sea. They didn't have any manna stories. They didn't have any water stories. They didn't have any GPS stories. And it says their children didn't know the Lord, nor had they heard the stories of what God had done for Israel. Now, why wouldn't second chair, people who were believers in God Jehovah, why would they not tell their own children at least what God did in grandma and grandpa's life? Why would they not tell those stories? Well, you know how kids are. You tell them what God did in grandma and grandpa's life, pretty soon they're going to get around to saying, well, how come we don't see that in our house? Why don't we see those things anymore? So they didn't tell them. You see, the thing really missing had to do with their personal relationship with Christ. Now, that's the story. I want to share with you what this means to me. Okay? I felt like he wanted me to tell you. Here's my problem. I have been surrounded generationally by first-chair people, my parents, my grandparents, even my great-grandparents. Godly people, stories. Man, you, 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 you come to lunch at Grandma's house as the food is being ate, and when it, when it was pretty much gone, they started telling stories. They would tell stories on each other, but they would tell stories of what God had done here and there. Story after story. And as a little kid, you're sitting there listening to all this stuff. God stuff. God stories. It's where I fell in love with Jesus and telling stories both. I wanted to be like them. I did. And my daddy, Mark and I's dad, what a guy, five foot six, and he would say, and a half. <laughs> but so full of Jesus. If you, when I wasn't right with God, he was miserable to be around. Always over there on the other side of the car driving and singing, talking to Jesus. You know, he'd always prayed out loud, you know. And if you're not right with God, that's not a good ride, you know. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not. And, and stories full of, you know, Jesus did this. Jesus saved this person. Jesus saved that family over and over and over. It was story after story. It was first chair living. Now, let me tell you, I was with him so much. I saw him when he acted second chair. But I saw the battle to be first chair. And that's my battle because here, here's the problem. I occasionally slide over to second chair. I usually don't even realize I've done it. 
but I find myself spiritually putting it in cruise. You know what I'm saying? And don't do the essentials that I was talking about. Reading the red, going over his story time and time again, letting it come to life, let that presence, yeah. I find myself sitting in second chair. And when I sit in second chair, there's no stories, there's no miracles. Here's the problem. I can't afford that. Here's why I can't afford it. I need to be first chair. Now all four of my children and their spouses have accepted Jesus. That's good. But in order for my grandchildren not to be living in third chair, I need my children and their spouses to be first chair. <laughs> I mean, in September, I'll have eight grandchildren. I can't imagine them lost for eternity. <laughs> What a stupid life it would be to lead thousands of people to the Lord like I have, and then my own grandchildren don't know the Lord or know the stories of our family. I can't afford that. And yet occasionally I find myself too often sliding over to second chair. Here's my goal. This is just my goal, okay? I know it may sound silly, but I want so much of Jesus in my life that when I wake up in the morning, the devil goes, uh-oh, he's awake. <laughs> Who's he gonna talk to? I really want so much of him that when my grandchildren come and sit by me or I put my arm around them, that they experience Jesus. I mean, that there's so much in me of Jesus that it runs over. I'm just talking about my goal. I'm not saying that happens. I hope it happens. You know what I'm saying? I want to be so full of Jesus because that's the only chance they have of living an abundant life is what the Bible says, a life of abundance because I really want them to experience first chair Christianity where you got stories to tell. I don't want them telling grandpa's stories. I want them telling their own stories, what God did for them. That can't happen if grandma and grandpa and their parents are second chair. Yeah, we're saved, going to heaven. <laughs> but I want my grandchildren there. How about you? Well, what's the solution? The solution, God, God wrote a letter to a second chair church in the book of Revelation, Ephesus. It'd been a great church. But his, here's what he said to him. 
you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Uh, the big word there, it, it, when you find yourself sitting in second chair, is repent. That means I admit it, I'm sitting in second chair, and I don't want to live here. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you start doing the things you did. That means reading the red. You know what it means when I say reading the red? If you have a red letter edition of the Bible or the words of Jesus, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says, go over that story again and again, item by item, again and again. And let me tell you, if you're reading, reading the red, it's going to jump out and come to life. It's, you're, he's going to speak to you. It, it's going to be real. It's going to be alive. And then read these stories, how God intervene into people's lives. If you're sitting here today discouraged and, and somewhat bored with life, move to first chair. You won't be bored. You, you'll be greatly challenged because he'll say, oh, I want you to go camp next to the Red Sea. And then the next morning, Pharaoh and all of his buddies you know, are chasing you and you're, you're trapped next to the Red Sea. No, you're not trapped. You just haven't lived the story yet. <laughs> when, 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 when you hit the water with the rod, <laughs> you know, that was an ordinary stick. It was Moses' rod, and yet God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that stick and the rod of Moses became the rod of God. We need some rod of God's stories in our life. Won't be boring. Yeah, it'll be stressful. It, it, you'll have anxiety. Uh, but if you really experience him and are obedient to him, you'll have your own stories that are just as big as the Red Sea, the manna, and the GPS. You'll have your own stories that are just as big in your life and in the life of your family because you'll know God did it. God did it. So the steps to renewal uh, is to renew his presence in our life. That's what the scripture said they, they lacked. This, this generation, it says they had not experienced his presence. That's a direct quote. Most of us here, or all of us here, we've experienced his presence. I hope you sense his presence right now, this, this time. <laughs> I have a man in my Bible study, and I don't know if he's here today. He, he's almost always here on Sunday morning, uh, Joe Fiano. He said, I, for 50 years, I didn't like going to church. He said, my first Sunday, my wife talked me into coming to Brandywine. He said, I sat in the crowd. 
And he said, I've never felt this before. You get that? He said, I've never felt this before. The presence. And it wasn't long. I mean, that was it for him. He surrendered to Jesus Christ. And the reason he shows up on Tuesdays on Bible studies because he, he, he's trying to be first chair. Which means, I, I believe three things that we need to do. We need to be in worship. This experience now. I believe we need to be in a small group studying the Word of God. And I found I need an accountability partner, prayer partner. You know why I need an accountability partner? I don't trust me. And so I have to have somebody I'm accountable to who will ask me questions that need to be asked. I've had that now for over 50 years. Somebody holding me accountable, somebody praying with me. I'm grateful. The reason I, I want to be first chair. Now, I've, I've shared with you my dilemma. Which chair are you setting in today? Are you first chair? Uh, are you first, uh, you've experienced first chair? Have you slid over to second chair? I don't know. This is so between you and Jesus. It's so between you and Jesus. That being that living sacrifice. So where are you at? Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Boy, are you in the right place. <laughs> because no group of people that I know help people give their life to Christ better than here. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your heart and then do the things that they teach you to do around here that helps you head or stay in first chair. That's what we're about. I want to ask you to do something today that uh, might be a little challenging for some of us, but it should be challenging. Are there people here today who are like me who struggle to stay in first chair? This is a reality, everyday challenge for me. Today, would you be willing to publicly be very transparent and say, I really, my goal, first chair. And whatever God needs to do to me to help me be in first chair, 
He has my permission. Uh, If that's you, I'm going to encourage you in a moment to get up out of your seat and come and and to say publicly uh, in front of everybody, my goal is first chair and whatever God you need, this this isn't between you and everybody else, but it is a demonstration of you and him. This needs to be between you and him. Because what's first chair challenge to you may be different than the person sitting next to you. And if there's someone here who has not given their heart to Jesus, ask him to forgive you. And then go to the yes, see the yes tables over there. And they will have encouragement for you. They will encourage you, pray with you, and give you some help and information on how to head the rest of your life in first chair living. Is there anyone here today who would want to join me at this altar and say, God, whatever you got to do to help me live first chair, that's where I want to be. Now, if you're like me, if I nailed at the altar, we'd have to call 911. <laughs> but I, I, I'm here setting, and maybe you need to come and sit on the front seat instead of kneel, or you can come and stand. <laughs> Could we all stand to make it easier? Because I, I think there's some folks who want to join me here and say, God, whatever it takes, I want to be first chair. Whatever, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that in front of everybody. Is there anyone here? Would you just come right now? I thought so. This isn't a casual go along with the crowd This is serious stuff. I want to live first chair the rest of my life. Heavenly Father, you see us gathered around this place, a place of prayer, a place to talk to you. We want to experience your presence in her life so much that other people that we love and would give our lives for would experience you because we have you overflowing in our life. We can't make that happen. 
That has to be you. And we're asking. Fill us with the presence of Jesus. Lord, help us to know what first chair looks like for us, each one of us. Each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to be here with so many people who want to be first chair. What a joy it is to see this. But Lord, when we go out and get in our cars, Lord, we know that that's when, as we go back among our families, have eating today or meet them next week or whatever the situation is. Lord, help us to have so much of you that the people, these people we love so much would experience you. Not just us, but you. And Lord, if there's things in our life that are, if we need to get rid of religious and historical junk so that we just are down to the essentials of Jesus, Lord, help us to be transformed in our minds and hearts, to be those living sacrifices that stay on the altar. That's why we're around this altar, to be living sacrifices. Help us to do that, Lord. Thank you that we're, we're, we're going to see that. We're going to have those stories to tell. Our stories, our family's stories of divine intervention from Jesus. Our stories. Now, folks, I want to encourage you. Feel free to stay around this altar and talk to Jesus as long as you want. Thank you for listening to this old man. I love you. You're so precious. Go live that first year. God bless you. Stay around this altar as long as you like. <laughs>